0: Our first movie is named The Good Son, and it's a movie that inspires an obvious question, which is, why in the world was this movie made? First episode in a minute or two. It's been, a minute. It's been where a, a minute. We went on hiatus. We spilled drinks. We cleaned up our act. We're back.
1: You can call me Taylor.
0: And I'm Mark. Uh, we're, uh, we're the married couple that bring you this podcast. Um, we're We watch. I don't want to say and appreciate, but we watch movies not enjoyed by critics, and we may appreciate them. We try to appreciate them. We
1: revisit, giving give we give everything a fair shake, fair chance.
0: We shake that. We shake the hell out of it. fairly. Oh, we, we sure do. We ring it out.
1: We're just just in time, barely watching a macabre movie before the Halloween season escapes us. We decided to talk about nineteen ninety three's The Good Son.
0: Is it? A, it's not even a cult hit, is it? It's, it's, it's a lot of people, maybe do a lot of people remember it or not? I think I'm guilty sometimes of thinking everyone, not like I literally think this, but you just maybe think everyone has the same familiarity with everything that you do. And I guess what I'm ramping up to ask you is, do you think a lot of people know the good son these days? Is it?
1: I don't know. I, I do know that back when I did stand up eight years ago, I had a joke where and I referenced the Good Son, and people did know what I was talking
0: about. Mm-hmm. But it, like,
1: that was that even that was a long time ago. By now, yeah, maybe people around our age, which is uh, I was I'm thirty two. I was born in ninety one, and Mark uh, was born in eighty four. Just so, turned you know, thirty nine. Yeah, just like any anybody maybe in that sort of elder millennial. Yeah, I don't like that term. Yeah, millennial cusp, whatever that kind of age. Yeah,
0: age. definitely. Right, like, uh, and of course, everybody knows Home Alone. Of course, and he was Macaulay Culkin, was is such a big movie star. And in hindsight, he 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 uh, James Dean died. Macaulay Culkin didn't, but he did that thing where he made a handful of movies, and that was it. That's that's like the the he made uh, maybe six or seven, I think, looking at it. So more more than a James Dean or something. There's probably a lot better comparisons you could even think of, but uh, the fact remains that. When I think about this movie, I just think about, man, there was a really short window to get the kid from Home Alone in a pretty fucked up horror movie. I know. And man, you know, not to tip my hand, you revisit it and its imperfections show maybe as an adult in a way that not, uh, that they don't as a kid. I still liked it a lot, but more than anything, I'm just glad that we got it. I'm glad that we got the little kid from Home Alone in a fucked up R-rated horror movie, you know? It's
2: crazy.
0: It's really crazy. It sounds like a thing that almost didn't happen and you hear about it, you're like, that would have been, that would have been crazy if they actually made that. Or do you know what I mean? Right. It happened, yeah.
1: <laughs> not, maybe as, as a teaser, my favorite line of his in the movie, and this is this is a movie that was filmed right after uh, they filmed Home Alone 2, so the, it's fully- The
0: subsequent winter, I think, yeah. Right, it's
1: not like <laughs> Macaulay Culkin, a few years removed from right. his like, childhood- Fully, fully, right, still He's still, right. he's still uh, very much in the throes of it, yet at one point he says- Hey, Mark. Don't fuck with me. <laughs> Adorable. He's like swinging his little legs while he says yeah, it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wearing a little hat. His nose is like perfectly rosy because it's winter.
0: And he says things like, don't, <laughs> don't fuck with don't me. Don't fuck with me. He's got it. I don't know if he does, but it'd be funny if he still had his mittens like pinned to his coat the way that uh, little Kevin McAllister does. <laughs>
1: got the 20 in his pocket. He's like,
0: pointing, don't fuck with me, but his mittens are swinging around. (laughs) Oh, we see him smoke cigs, too? Like, not to be all over the place, but just saying, again, just like, as far as getting this kid in this movie when you could, he's smoking kids like a factory worker. He's acting. He's a good actor. So, you give the kid a cigarette, he's like, okay, I can figure this out.
1: (laughs) It, It really does sound like a movie that almost came to be, but ultimately never saw the light of day, when you really break down what it is. So before we dive in too much uh into the nitty-gritty, we'll give you guys just an overview sort of of uh of what you're getting yourself into here by listening to this. Um so the story follows a young boy named Mark who after the death of his mother is sent to stay with his aunt and uncle while his father is away on business. While there, he meets his cousin Henry who shows signs of violent and evil behavior.
0: Colin Colkin being Henry and uh, Mark there being Elijah Wood.
1: Correct. Uh, it was directed by Joseph Rubin, who also directed, uh, it was his immediate follow up to Sleeping with the Enemy, right? Before that, yes. he directed 1987's The Stepfather, and he would go on to direct Money Train, The Forgotten, and Who Could Forget Gorp?
0: <laughs> Gorp, 1980s Gorp. I
1: have no idea what that is. I, was, I, I came across it while doing research for this, and I just, I'm so taken. By the title it's
0: a great it's fun to say Gorp. you got to get it in the notes if you can if you can when you're making a show and Gorp.
1: if you're anything like me i assume you're curious about w- what the hell it is it seems to be like just a shameless sort of ripoff slash uh amalgamation amalgamation of meatballs and animal house just like mm-hmm. a summer camp just a big movie.
0: a big yeah i uh he also did Money Train, which it's funny when you see years on stuff because Money Train had Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. And I was like, oh, I like them in uh, White Men Can't Jump. I, ki- I kind of want to see that. And then you just never see it. And then you see the year and you realize it's 95. And you're like, oh, so I've like kind of wanted to see that movie for like 20 years. <laughs> you know, it's just a funny. It's a funny thing. You should check it out. <laughs> I should check out Money Train sometime.
1: Are you familiar with? <laughs> The Forgotten? Did you see that one? It has
0: Julianne Moore in it, I think. Yes, I I can picture spooky. it. I never saw it. Did you see it?
1: Yes, I saw saw it in the theater.
0: Is it spooky? It's a horror thing. yeah like it's a, yeah, yeah. It's
1: it, I think it's probably PG thirteen. It's mm-hmm. like uh I want to say she's someone who lost uh, her adolescent son mm-hmm. tragically, and then slowly people, everybody around her, starts forgetting that he ever existed.
0: So it's sort of... Am I losing my mind or not, kind of thing, or or whatever, yeah, or like what's going on? Yeah, a cerebral. Just like, yeah.
1: She she she's just like running around a lot. It's kind of like uh that that one Harrison Ford movie,
0: The Fugitive. Yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> The Fugitive, <laughs> but
1: it's not a very good movie. But I just does she
0: jump away from a train at all yeah. anymore?
1: I just remember her. No, no, this train
0: remembers like, my son. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry running down wind or like yeah, uh, against the wind. Cause right. my hair's blowing all crazy. Yeah. Down. I
0: can even kind of picture that. It's almost like the cover or the trailer yeah, or something. It's like, I don't know if running this movie Running around is... trying to find the one guy that remembers my son.
1: I don't think I'm invested or like titillated by the suspense here. I think you guys are just scaring the shit out of me with how loud the movie is.
0: <laughs> Booming soundtrack while, while she's running away from the forgetful man. Um, Yeah. I feel bad. I haven't really seen any of his other movies. I don't feel bad. I just mean, uh, you know, I haven't seen it. of And uh,
1: so back to The Good Son. It was written by Ian McEwen, who is a very British novelist. Uh, and it's, it's just interesting that he would be part of this at all. Um, to contextualize him a bit for people who aren't familiar, which I, I was not. Uh, Roger Ebert referred to him as a master of the macabre.
0: Mm. A deeply serious man. That's I what said. I say. Yeah, yeah. Ian Ian McEwen sounds like a British novelist, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's, he seems to be exactly what you would conjure up with that being the man's name. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we discussed uh, movie stars Macaulay Culkin, Elijah Wood, and we have Wendy Crewson as as the mom, mm-hmm. as uh, Max's mom, and David Morse as
0: the- Is that- I that- think that's Elijah Wood's- that's what I was going to say. Not the uncle that he stays with, but the father who drops Elijah Wood off is David Morse. Because I recognize that guy. David Morse is his name. I think he's. Yeah, he looks familiar. He's the young. When Jody Foster's uh, the, the flashback stuff in Contact, I think he's the father there. And he, there's probably been. There's probably a few more that you'd go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But it's just, yeah, he's great. He's a good character actor.
1: He needs an agreeable dad in the yeah. early, early 90s.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like he might not know exactly what to do, but he, he, he feels bad. He wishes he did. He loves his kid. That's a David Morse rule. <laughs>
1: so, uh, on that, we have the official Colkin count.
0: <laughs> you know, this is a feature we've had on every episode, and it's always been zero. And I'm starting to wonder if we needed it, but I think we should keep it around.
1: Finally, our patented official <laughs> Colkin count.
0: What do we got today? Three. That's crazy.
1: <laughs> we got, we got, we got the big Colkin. We knew that, yeah. We got the big guy. <laughs> and then we also had have-
0: the big guy. I just picture him smoking a stick again. <laughs>
1: Doing the thing where he, like...
0: Getting two of my siblings' jobs out here.
1: He, he ashes it by slowly, kind of methodically pushing the cherry yeah. out with his fingers yeah. for some reason. He's... A,
0: he's, he's a- <laughs> Putting it back in
1: the, in the carton and saving it for later. I don't know. <laughs> um,
0: and
1: we pardon, also see uh, Quinn Culkin plays Henry's kid sister, Connie. And we also see a, a, a very small Rory Culkin... Rory Culkin. Rory. Rory Culkin has Baby Richard, in a framed photo.
0: What all the? What did Rory go on to do? Do you know offhand? He's screamed off Scream Four. He's Scream Four. Okay. Yeah. Crazy to think of like a lot Richard. of child actors. He's been in stuff since he's a baby.
1: Is that he's? Is he the one that's also in that show about uh, the Texas cult?
0: I think so. I think so. I'll cut this if we're wrong, but you know what? Yeah, absolutely. Pretty that's true. him. Yeah. I think that's him. I'll leave that in there. Um. <laughs> uh, you know, oh, the 20. Good
1: Son it was shot by John Lindley a frequent Ruben collaborator he mm-hmm. also shot Stepfather, Sleeping with the Enemy, Money Train and then uh, non Ruben movies that he also went on to sh- to shoot. Was Pleasantville 1998's Pleasantville and several Nora Ephron movies including You've Got Mail
0: Also 98. Pleasantville is an interesting one to have shot because that's a movie that Starts in the real world. Kids go into an old 50s sitcom. The color movie becomes black and white. By the end, the color and the black and white are merging. But, uh, you know, know, like, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a bad resume there.
1: It was distributed by 20th Century Fox. And this is odd. I don't remember ever so far. It's our 10th episode. So far in 10 episodes, it's the only one I can remember there ever being something like conflicting reports on what the budget was but uh conflicting reports listed the final production cost somewhere between 17 million and 28 million
0: that's a big swing that's like a third of it or something you know it's not like 100 or 110 and it's like yeah well whatever you know that's like crazy money and what's 10 million or whatever this is like it, it was either seven somewhere between somewhere between 17 and 28 it's a big swing
1: hey it was technically a hit though it uh ended up with a 60.6 million worldwide box office
0: which is you know that's that's probably just like macaulay culkin and anything at that point was going to make the r-rated thing of course it's like not his audience but it's maybe just like whatever curiosity factor or something it just i don't know it seemed like it's crazy to think that he was a movie like child actors and stuff are nothing new but he was like he could open a movie in a way that very few children ever could. He was in the same business as Bruce Willis yeah. being in blockbuster movies and making millions, you know, like it's, just, yeah, it's, crazy. it's
1: It's really fun. It's, it's interesting to fathom. Um, it ended up with a rotten tomato score of
0: 25%.
1: Mm. People uh, didn't critics, didn't love it. Didn't love it. Um, the critics, <laughs> critics consensus is the good son is never good enough to live up to its unsettling potential failing to drum up much suspense and and unable to make Macaulay Culkin a credible psychopath. Mm.
0: Man, I disagree with so much of that, but I mean, hey, critics be damned. And you know, it's hilarious. We like Roger Ebert. We've talked about him uh, in a way that I I appreciate generally how he comes to a movie and what perspective he has, even if he disagrees with it. But this is one, and I think we'll play it later, but him on Siskel and Ebert. This is one that he's like, I not only didn't like this movie, I am troubled that they made children perform this material. (laughs) it's like he's pretty he's pretty far he he's pretty far away from liking it like it's like i don't like it and i if it you know yeah i, I worry for those involved and i don't see how this can entertain a single person on on the earth it's, it's pretty damning
1: deeply disturbed it's by like, every part of this he's like
0: so, I, I wish we just cut to commercial now and and gene sis was like what are you talking about roger no i don't
1: so before we just got into it all again
0: mm-hmm.
1: what was your impression of the good son?
0: I always really liked it. And we've talked about this probably on the show before, but as a kid, I was not, I didn't shy away from horror movies and, 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 and I was kind of allowed to see a lot of stuff. So when this came out in 93, I would have been a nine year old, uh, you know, like I, uh, that said my older brother, maybe being older and just maybe being more into it. He would pursue, like, I want to see every Freddy, I want to see every day. I wasn't necessarily going to see every crazy thing, you know, but some like The Good Son, I think, you know, it's like you don't even think about it in those terms, was something about like, oh, Macaulay Culkin in some fucked up movie. And I think I don't think I saw it till it came on like HBO or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I probably didn't see it until 94. And I promise we'll be quick with this part. But as a kid who lost his father that year, it was like this movie about a kid dealing with a loss that, of course, like to watch it now. And I know it's not the question, but to watch it now, it's like, OK, some of the beats are a little maybe contrived or convenient or this and that. But for me, it was this movie that at large was like. Speaking on this thing that I sort of understood, the sort of feeling or something, being Elijah Wood, being this kid that's like, well, what the fuck do I do now kind of thing? I wasn't thrust into his extreme circumstances. I, mo- I mostly just watched HBO. Uh, but like, uh, I just, like, I said it to you when we were like, watch it. Basically, I just think, uh, uh, what well, we were saying before, my big opinions that I think about with the movie are before I love that we got the fucked up Macaulay Culkin R rated movie where he's like the bad guy too, not Cape Fear where they're being terrorized or something. He is. The, the the intense killer. And I just like that. It's a movie about how fucked up kids can be and how fucked up life can be and how uh when those things intersect, how fucked it all can be. And what you know, John Hughes gets a lot of credit who, you know, discovered Macaulay Culkin and stuff in his movies. And right, maybe rightfully so get this credit for like speaking kind of two kids in a not condescending way. Something we were talking about off off mic uh, in a way that as a kid, sometimes you consume a lot of shit. And 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 uh it it just is its view of childhood or whatever, you know, and, and I don't know if the Goodson necessarily has it all figured out, but I do just felt like the movie kind of spoke to me in a way like it was it was fun to see kids doing the grown up beats of a movie or or even the fact that Elijah Wood is like the main character of the movie. And, and he goes yes. through all this stuff and he's kind of the crazy girl who's like, no, I was right here and no one believes him. But it's like, oh, it's a little kid. God, that's so frustrating. It's really just all it's all very compelling is my is my answer, I think. <laughs>
1: And it's it's really interesting, having both watched this as kids, mm-hmm. it, it it's like the scariest thing you can sort of fathom is what if something horrible is happening where you need the help of grown ups but everybody around you is too incompetent yeah. in, in, incompetent or just distracted or just fucking stupid or just like listen that, kid
0: it's not what you think it is yeah or, but you're you know just
1: like you you have nobody to fucking help you that would uh, that is the i can't think of anything more st- there's
0: possible. a helplessness there where
1: yeah more dreadful as as a child
0: yeah exactly exactly yeah and and to have been through one kind of trauma and now you're being thrust into the horror of your your <laughs> It's it's like a little michael myers that never got sent away and now you're spending your fucking christmas vacation with him it's a pretty horrifying, you know, you could see where I know we get into it. You and know, Ian McEwen is not thrilled about where his film ended up, but you see where even just like from a premise or something, it's all very, uh, 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 as Roger Ebert referred to the master of the macabre, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's all. Yeah. Now, now do you remember like seeing it, you know, cause again, it's kind of an intense movie for a lot for, for a youngster to have seen, you could say.
1: Yeah, definitely. But something that we've bonded on, uh, we've bonded over, is watching age-inappropriate movies. Oddly, I remember, like, there was one movie in my house that we had on VHS tape that my mom was just like, you can't watch that one. Anything else is fine.
0: Mm -hmm. Casino. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, I I get it. I get it. But it did seem very arbitrary to me at the time. If other
0: things didn't make the cut that are, like, maybe comparable, you could say, well, why not this and Casino, (laughs) right? Like, no one's going to (laughs) argue Casino shouldn't be up there, probably. But, Yeah. well, okay. I, what, I don't know. The <laughs> line is Casino. It's, it's
1: good to have one one parameter, I guess. Anyway. Was Goodfellas
0: in the house? I'm just curious. I don't remember. <laughs> Casino's probably more fucked up than Goodfellas.
1: Yeah, it is. There's That's more torture. There's the the, the Billy Bats' yeah. brother.
0: There's more, yeah. Just way worse. Uh, way way worse not Billy that. Terrible. Bats.
1: No, Nikki. He's Billy Bats <laughs> in Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Phil. Philly. Jesus Christ, sorry. Thank you for listening to this still.
0: if you're still here thank you
1: (laughs) but um so i born in 91 i i definitely wouldn't have been keyed into the early release of 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 this movie two-year-old
0: taylor was not at the opening night sadly no okay
1: but um we we also both uh in the before times we had lots of channels and so yeah. like, you know, the stars, how there, there seemed to be like 85 different movie channels
2: mm-hmm.
1: and as, as a, whatever the 2000s version of a latchkey kid is where you're like, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm just home and I have unfettered access to the TV and mm-hmm. the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, with that, there were just a lot of movies that were on those channels, of movie channels. It was now.
0: like a better selection than growing up and watching whatever sitcom reruns you had to all summer mm-hmm. or whatever which there was still some of that of course but yeah
1: and it had just such a uh, an interesting tone to it just how especially as a kid getting into horror movies getting into like well just basically any Come movie on. that's around but especially uh we both really liked horror movies mm-hmm. as youngsters um so seeing one about kids yeah was so interesting and disturbing. And the fact that it was rated R and it didn't, it didn't really skirt away or shy away from any sort of subject matter or whatever. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It didn't dumb it down for kids.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad there's definitely a timeline for kids, right? There's a timeline where they do some PG 13 watered down kind of thing and kind of like nobody wins kids don't like it that much and adults aren't that impressed with it not that i don't know if they still but just meaning like at least they go for it i'm thinking about it now where it's like it's also cool that like they didn't overly go for it it's not some splatter fest honestly you know like it is a pretty it's a relatively sub if you compare it to other horror movies is all i mean so like as a kid it's like i don't know it's like each death is pretty meaningful not even death each like fucked up scene we'll say or like spooky is something bad going to happen or not like yeah it's
1: very vivid and very ominous and maybe on our rewatch it's a little ham-fisted like it really drives it home but you know yeah i like you i i still enjoyed it for what it is which is just like a it's like a creature feature almost and macaulay culkin is the creature
0: at the end of the day you know i really just appreciate this should maybe this shouldn't be the be all end all of, if, if something's good or not but it's like there's not a lot i can really compare the good son to when there's pretty obvious things he evokes he puts on a paper mache mask and kind of looks like mike myers maybe mm-hmm. it's supposed to maybe it's not there's that moment i love it where they're playing hide and seek in the dark with a flashlight shot just lingers for an extra second he just swings the flashlight around it's like is that supposed to be like Leatherface at the end of sex jeans on massacre because even if it's not a direct thing it's like well maybe it's just the same thing of just like this odd little like peek into his resting psyche or something. I don't know. But then the fact that, again, it's like the kid from Home Alone. I, maybe I'm missing an obvious example or something, but I just can't think of too many other, like... I know, like, The Omen. I know there's... The obvious thing when it came out was probably like, oh, it's like The Omen, the spooky kid. I know there's a precedent there, but, yeah, I don't know. The bad seed. Yeah, like, you know, the, like, right. movie. Yeah, oh, I, I don't even know if I know that.
1: It, it just it came up a lot while discussing
0: Got that. it, right. So I'm sure there's stuff, but again, just again, he was like this huge... Once in a decade or whatever you want to say child movie star mm-hmm. and uh you got to you got to be the killer in the horror movie
1: I do think the timing of it it was just all the all the stars aligned at the time you have this this star performer who happens to be twelve years old
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: but it it was also kind of the big era for. Badly behaved kids.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, not necessarily all in in the in ninety-three, but just around this time. Yeah. There was uh, Problem Child, Home Alone itself, mm-hmm. Dennis the Menace. Mm-hmm. Um even child's play, just a little perverse yeah. in the way it involves like horrible things and children. Yeah. And you- also like just like the trashy TV. Badly behaved kids episodes, whatever those, yeah, those things. All that
0: stuff on Sally, Jess, Jeff- the trashy TV talk show. They would just trot these bad kids out. And sometimes I'm trying to remember They definitely would have a, uh, like a, a boot camps, you know, what do you call it? Like a drill sergeant come out and yell at them sometimes. Sometimes they'd cry about it, but then either it would or wouldn't also go with them, sending them to one of those fucked up boot camps. Yeah. And that's, you know, you hear about those crazy places where they go, like pull kids out of their, their beds at night and they take them. And it's like, it's like staged kidnapping stuff.
1: Like that one Paris Hilton talks about.
0: Yeah. But I mean, and I'm not, it sounds awful and everything. It's just uh, that used to be like also what was on like daytime TV. Same as like Rachel Ray now. I think <laughs> not that I mean, TV's become an overly sanitized thing, but just yeah, like, like it was just and... out there for a minute, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you said, too, it was like, um, sorry. Yeah. Ricky Lake. It was huge. Uh, everyone had their own sort of angle. They played we obviously we know Maury rode the paternity test and then I think Ricky Lake and and then Jenny Jones were big on like you, you bring someone out and then you lie to him about why you're going. And then you tell him you have a crush on him. And I guess you fly home and date if it goes well. Right. And you just fly home together holding hands and going, that was cool. Then we're good or not. I don't know. I've always wondered if they're on the same flights. Uh, And then that all blew up. Yeah. With, with, with some, some murder. Um, That's a whole mess. uh, Yeah,
1: everything does. Yeah, My favorite era of VH1 reality shows also ended with a murder.
0: One murder, and then the whole... It's like you're working on a whole extended genre of TV and the whole thing. Rumor, Although Maury wrote it out. Maybe that's the thing. Maury was in a lane where he's like, Hey, man, I'm not doing any of that. Everyone's coming here to figure it out. Anyways, we're getting sidetracked. I wanted to also say... Because you said Dennis the Menace. There was that Dennis the Menace live action that came out. The Little Rascals reboot. Mm-hmm. Kids my age love that shit. And I wish... I wish I could say I wasn't, like, too cool for school when I was literally, like, a little fucking kid in school. <laughs> but I'm so sure people would quote, like, I've got a dollar, I've got all that stuff. Like, what is that? I'd roll my eyes. And be like, i go home and watch Mr. Science Theater, you fucking losers. You be know, like, <laughs> I'm sure. I was like, that's awful. Um, but that said, it just was, like, or even I'd go home and watch The Good Son, or maybe I wasn't, you know, they'd, yeah. they'd go watch Home Alone for the hundredth time or something. No it's- disrespect. That's what was going on. But just, yeah.
1: You unlocked a memory uh, mentioning that because... I just was thinking about how impressionable kids are. There's a, a, a thing in Little Rascals where one of the little kids yells, somebody called 911. So as a six-year-old in in Hawaii on an Air Force base, I was like, oh, let me try doing that. So I called 911. Oh. And then I panicked and hung up.
0: <laughs>
1: and I they, they
0: call you back or yeah, send someone or they
1: called back one of the two. I can't remember if they yeah. called back or sent someone, but uh, either way,
0: that was always I, I was that. found out. Wow, told
1: to not do that again.
0: Is that as bad as it got? I mean, I don't doubt that it was yeah. scary and serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I'm sure that kind of that's thing cool. happens, but it's like yeah, they have to follow up on it. But
0: I, th- uh, I thought you were gonna say that like, like you, I didn't know. It was just, yeah,
1: I did. I did it strictly because of that movie, Little Rascals.
0: Just remember that when you when we when we're like the next time we hear people talking about video games or movies influencing kids and we're like oh bullshit. I want us to remember your little rascal's nine one one story. <laughs> no. I thought you were gonna say you quoted that and like you're like going around yelling someone called 911 and people were freaking out or something. But it's not unlike it. You just dialed it yourself. I
1: was but. just a curious kid, I think.
0: That was always the thing when I was like predating caller ID and all that stuff, prank calling used to be a good way to spend the afternoon with, with when you were a bad Dennis the Menace like kid. Yeah. When you were a little rascal. But um, yeah. the thing was, like, dude, nine one one, they like they they had that before we knew about Star sixty nine or anything. We knew that nine one one had that shit. You didn't, yeah. I was like,
1: I remember my little friends and I? We got we were just going through a phone book. Mm-hmm. And we found the number to the White House. That <laughs> was the funniest fucking thing. I
0: still, did you call the White House? Yeah, I don't remember. Did you ask him like if their fucking if yeah, their butts were out we, or something stupid or nothing worthwhile? And I'm sure it just sounded like <laughs> yeah. the squeaky voices of children. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing is just like, when you think about like, I'd like prank call people sometimes and not know what I was, the prank was going to be or something. Or like, <laughs> I don't know. Or like you get on, like you pick up like the phone intercom and each one know what to say. So you just say boobs or something like your Beavis and butthead and hang it up. I don't know why that's so funny to me. Just like, all I know is I want to be bad. I don't even have like an inspired thought beyond that, but I'm just cold calling people and they answer. Oh, hey, what,
1: what, uh, that's why any graffiti back then just said, What's up? Yeah, you got nothing. It's that or the anarchy, eh? you know, a yeah,
0: it. the anarchy, a eh? that that cool s. If you wanted to flex,
1: <laughs> especially in this state,
0: yeah, man, Michigan.
1: <laughs> so, anyway, back to oh, yeah, we're talking about the good son. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it half a star, he called it a creepy, unpleasant experience. Who in the
0: world would want to see this movie? <laughs> It's, that's what I'm saying, like I love him to death, uh, but this is one of the only times of like even a bad review. This is like one of the only times I've gotten the impression that it's like if I were to be let's just say hypothetically, I meet Roger Ebert, we're getting along, and then he finds out I like this movie, like he would think less of me. It feels like one of those, and it doesn't always feel like that
1: um, yeah, he
0: would say, what in the world's wrong with you?
1: <laughs> so I do have. This is just the, uh, the beginning of, of his review from, from 93. Who in the world would want to see this movie? Watching The Good Son, I asked myself that question, hoping that perhaps the next scene would contain the answer, although it never did. The movie is a creepy, unpleasant experience, made all the worse because it stars children too young to understand the horrible things we see them doing. And uh, He goes on. One of the reasons the movie feels so unwholesome is that Macaulay Culkin seems too young and innocent to play a character this malevolent. Uh, at times, hearing the things he's made to say, you want to confront the filmmakers who made him do it and yeah. ask them what they were thinking of.
0: That's the thing. He's just like there's almost a a point at which you can't engage with the material because you're just like, how could you make anything like this? <laughs> <laughs> which fair, I get it that he's not going to like said material, but yeah, yeah, he's just not. It's just like conceptually, it's like if you, it's like if you try to have him review, I I, I don't know,
1: cannibal holocaust, <laughs> cannibal
0: holocaust, or a snuff film or mm-hmm. something. Some smut.
1: He says, uh, this movie is rated R. Market surveys indicate the kids want to see it, probably because it stars their Home Alone hero. Fuck yeah. This is not a suitable (laughs) film for young viewers. I don't care how many parents and adult guardians they surround themselves with. And somewhere along the line... (laughs) I'm sorry. And somewhere along the line, a parent or adult guardian should have kept Macaulay out of it too. How ironic that his... Macaulay Culkin's father moved mountains and held up studios for millions of dollars so that Macaulay Culkin could star in this movie.
0: Yeah.
1: They went out of their way to make this happen. Very funny.
0: It's, yeah.
1: And Roger Ebert, per, perhaps one of the most uh, prominent, prolific, what, I don't know, I don't know, really. All
0: whatever. those, all he's that. A big one. He's a big yeah, critic. He's one of the guys. And it's a big one.
1: He, he <laughs> this was supposed to be the thing that like o- opened, opened a new set of doors. Instead, one of the, most famous reviewers ever yeah. says, what is this? What this, is this? unholy creation. How the, could you let you?
0: <laughs> it's not like, oh, one and a half stars. I saw the ending coming and the screenplay's uninspired. It was like half a star. What adults let the children do this? Like, it's, it's harsh. <laughs>
1: we need to examine the events that led us to this moment. Right, exactly. <laughs>
0: um,
1: oh, and then he and Gene Siskel on their show, what was it called?
0: At Siskel the- and Ebert at the movies, I suppose, I they think. They
1: gave it two thumbs down.
0: Which is as bad as they could get. It's such a, it's such a it's, a, it's it's all or nothing. You either get the thumb up or the thumb down. There's not a lot of subtlety.
1: I do like it better than the star system, as as we've discussed before. I, there's too much pressure attached to, like, uh, if you go on Letterboxd or whatever, yeah. and you want to l- log that you watched a movie. Yeah. Then you're like, I don't know, I liked it. Do I give it four or five? And then suddenly everything is four or five. Or one, just like, I don't
0: know. Yeah, so there's something, you're right. There's a real cut the shit attitude to a thumb up or a thumb down. Yeah. of just well, it's three stars, but you know, there were times that it was a little bit. Okay, but you liked it? Okay, show me your thumb. That's all I want. To... <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good system. <laughs> I remember, oh God, I wish I could remember what movie, but I do remember. I used to love that show. Uh, I would watched Siskel and Ebert, and then there's one where I, th- I want to say Gene Siskel said, this is one of those movies to say thumbs up, but you want to say bad thumb, because there's so many things wrong with it. And you are going to find yourself out there. In the teetering thumb territory but
1: you give you like a like a janky thumb
0: you can do sideways like gladiators before they made up their mind mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or I guess when the guy told the gladiator what he was gonna do mm-hmm. but then other people call after that and it's in all kinds of movies now it's just how you communicate with a henchman
1: would you have a video of uh, their review of it you want to go through it they're they're both so so upset about it they're so yeah. upset.
0: The Good Son is a reprehensible film trading on little children in order to create sick images with no redeeming value except, I guess, to entertain, although I cannot imagine anyone being entertained by this movie. What really disturbed me were the scenes of small children in danger and the scenes in which this young man, Macaulay Calkin, is required to act out the murders of his family members, innocent bystanders, and even a dog. Macaulay Culkin has a lot of young fans, and all I can say is the movie, which is rated R, is completely inappropriate for children and two of the children who should have been kept out of it are Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood. You know they're both pretty good actors and it is it is awful an awful film for all the reasons that you mentioned and then it's stupid also on its own level for example the dummy is thrown off the uh Macaulay Culkin throws the dummy off in, in a highway the cars crack up never again is it mentioned in the investigation about the dummy. Did you notice that? Yeah, there was, uh-huh. That's not pursuit. And the two kids are in full view yes. of anybody on the highway. In other words, it yeah. doesn't have as stupid and as offensive as the film is, it doesn't even have a logic within its own sordid right. details.
1: Right. When Siskel thoughtfully and patiently moves to tell you why a movie is stupid. There's <laughs> just
0: something very funny about <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They led the show off that week. They're over at the program and Dazed and Confused. They talked about that was a controversial week because uh this might get a this might get cut but the the program was a college football movie but kids uh died because of it because there's a scene where they go lay in traffic and kids copied it to go like be tough with each other they lay like uh, like in the middle of the highway like on the traffic lines or whatever and cars zip by kids started trying it kids started yeah man it was a big copycat era whether you believe that or not but it was like that and beavis and butthead kids were burning shit down and everything else mm-hmm. i don't know it was it was it was uh you heard a ton about it all the very specific examples like this was a thing and influenced that
1: it's interesting if if i would have seen this review like as as a kid you know same age whatever age i finally saw the movie at i think i would have thought don't condescend to me
0: yeah i think so what, it's- you think
1: i have an experienced life
0: it's you know not to keep making the same point but it's just like when you see like let's say you're a teenager you see the breakfast or like the movie kids if if you saw that movie and you're like this movie's like disgusting and vulgar and there's not much going on there's not much of a plot and this and that like that's all objectively maybe true or something but it hits so many people and some people love that movie just because you see it and you're like oh a movie that's like about people maybe that uh in my age or whatever that uh even if it's not exactly like my life it's not this like overly sanitized black and white sort of you know just like easily defined but also condescendingly sort of drawn world that speaks to people and if you're a little fucked up and you kind of want to see a horror movie or a gritty gritty drama in the example of kids or something it's kind of cool if you're watching all these movies with grown-ups all the time and you can handle it and then here is one with some kids in it right
1: yeah and uh as if, if you're a kid that had to that grew up quickly, you know, you mm-hmm. m- matured emotionally f- because of life circumstances,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you already feel a little like, okay, I'm around my peers, but I feel, I feel older. Exactly. Like I'm a different, a different phase of my life.
0: Right. Almost. I don't want to watch the little rascals. So, yeah, well, not anymore. You graduate from that and move,
1: and move on to, to the, to the other shit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it was, that's why it was so like interesting. To watch a movie about kids going through like it's an adult movie starring kids. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like an adult mm-hmm.
0: plot. Yeah, it's about a kid going yeah, it's about a kid going through the loss. Like the first thing that happens in this movie, so not a spoiler. The first thing that happens in this movie, Elijah Wood, not only does his mother die, he's his soccer game is interrupted, so he is told his mother's going to die. He goes to visit his dying mother. Then they go to the funeral. This is the first 10 minutes of the movie. Like, it's like, it makes no bones about, like, there's no, uh, you know, this isn't going to be, like, easy or whatever you'd say. And so it's just like, if you're a kid watching it and you are just watching it for, like, whatever, like, oh, Macaulay Culkin's going to do fucked up thing. Like, you have to endure a lot of just, like, heavy, somber <laughs> shit. You yeah, know? it's
1: almost, it's a drama because that's what it started as.
0: Yeah, you know? you know, it's easy to call it a horror movie and make comparisons to to, to Macaulay being not on like a, oh, a slasher villain, but like, not really. It's like it's like a logical it's a dark, edgy thriller drama thing that definitely is. Yeah, is like peripheral to horror. But right. If you want to stack up like violence or body count, despite what Roger Ebert says, it's not. It's almost like you might hear some of these things they say, and I don't know. I, I wonder if the movie might seem tame if you watched it and yeah. you heard what they said. You know,
1: you might picture like he's he's co- he's going around like, you know, he's in Scream and and just just like slicing and dicing. He's right. not like he's not. you don't see him do anything like that. You you see, you have reason to suspect that he he has killed, and we see we do see some attempted murders. Yeah, but we but- don't we don't you know it's not it's not really i just i don't know for what
0: it's worth th- he had pretty good reason no i'm kidding <laughs> you know it's an interesting thing too we talk about the home and the good son thing i just want to say this before i forget it's like so reprehensible but it's like it's really all just in the framing of course this is obvious but it's like he's doing crazy things we see kevin mcallister do more violence to daniel stern and joe pesci than we see a uh, uh, little henry do to anyone in the good son we see him like causing people to be stabbed and burned and bricks falling on their head and everything else. But it's a comedy. It's lighthearted. But also the funny thing, it's like, you know, it's like, well, we're told these guys are assholes, so it's okay that he fucks them up and everything. But I just, I just think about Roger Ebert saying like, yes, but for a child to do this material, it's like, you know, if you're going to break it down to that level, like he was chucking bricks at guys at home alone. You know, Yeah. I don't know.
1: It is, it is sort of like the, this movie is like a, in, in, another dimension or, you know, another universe where Joe Pesci and Macaulay Culkin's characters in Home Alone had that, like that child's play thing, whatever, whatever puts the the, the murder inside of the doll in the first place. Yeah. Like that happened with Joe Pesci into Macaulay Culkin's body. And that's what we're seeing now. That's why he's like, that's why he's so chaotic and he's smoking cigarettes. He's got like fingerless gloves, right?
0: Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, we're gloves. And it's a spooky thing when you're, and this is the thing I didn't think about as a kid, but you know, there's something so grown up, I'm smoking cigarettes, I'm saying don't fuck with me, but so much of his motivation is just like, I kind of want to be the little baby forever, <laughs> you know?
1: I'm the baby boy.
0: I'm the me? baby boy. I'm the special boy. I don't take well to people, other people getting my mother's attention and shit like that. And of course, those are things in some variation. Those issues maybe do uh, show up in adult males lives sometimes and things like that. But this is like a very literal, like, no, 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 mom. Mom, mom, look at me. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. And so, yeah, uh, that's a good, a good segue because we're going to just talk about what happens in the movie. As you mentioned, uh, the story begins with, with Elijah Wood's mom dying and he's the hero of the movie. You know, every, he's the sympathetic character. He's the one that's like, Hey, this kid's really evil. I don't know why no adult around me seems to notice or care, uh, so we, we, we just spend the whole movie sort of in his, on his side, hoping that he is able to overcome the, the evil.
0: We probably um, should mention that he's really fucking good, too. Like, he yeah, does more so acting than Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin has a big presence on the movie, but, his like, Elijah face. Wood does all these emotional things. And, like, you know, like, for a little kid, it's crazy that yeah. he can do that. Like, he's really good.
1: Very good. Um, so his mom dies and then his father just needs to go to Tokyo. He's got to go to Tokyo two for 2 weeks two in weeks. order to close this close deal. The deal.
0: And there's a lot of a lot of papers to sign. And <laughs>
1: you you might ask why can't they do it over like a conference call? Why can't why can't he take his son with him?
0: He's on Christmas why? break? He's on or at camp. the very least he's off cuz his mom's dead. No
1: winter break. Winter break yeah. Yep. And boom. We don't have an answer for you for any of those. No.
0: Cause they, they probably just, they probably have one line of just like oh come on you know why and it's probably flimsy at best if it's in there I if it's in there it, I don't think it is I don't think it's in there we just go with it
1: and so so uh, young Mark played by Elijah Wood goes to spend a couple of weeks uh, those two weeks with his aunt and uncle and he meets his his cousin cousins he meets his cousins uh, Macaulay Culkin and the the little Culkin too mm-hmm. but that family uh, it they live in Maine so we go from this nice southwest beautiful mountain desert, uh, scape and (laughs) then, uh, just cold, dreary, snowy Maine. And, uh, turns out they're in the throes of grief themselves because they've recently lost, uh, a baby boy who drowned in the bath sometime in the not too distant past.
0: Mm -hmm. Pretty weird.
1: Pretty weird. Uh, and what could have happened there? We talked about this, but the first time we see uh, Mark's cousin Henry, played by Macaulay Culkin, uh, he is wearing like this crudely made paper mache mask. That's just paper mache. It's not. There's no additional anything done to it. It's just white paper mache. All scrappy and, and
0: rough, and it's, um,
1: it's just the 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 creepiest little thing you ever did see. Yeah.
0: He comes down and informs the other boy that he made him one, and that they just kind of put them on and look at each other. And it's like an unsettling little, again, kind of like the flashlight thing. I said there's once or twice that the camera kind of lingers or like the moment kind of lingers on something kind of like a little unsettling moment or something. It's you like know? Us. Yeah. The
1: movie Us, Jordan. Williams. Yes.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. And They're this uh, crazy kind of mirror for a second.
1: It's kind of funny that the movie is not made for children. However... They really drive every point that they want to make home. So so much so that (laughs) as children you can understand it.
0: It really held my Uh, hand for a movie for adults. Henry's
1: little little uh, like home base, his his clubhouse of sorts, is is this creepy little shed in in the in the woods, and it's just like it's you get you get Unabomber cabin vibes. You get uh, you get the house in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yes. just like that kind of, there's just like creepy shit everywhere. There's, there's literally a little doll hanging from a noose. noose yeah. Uh, however, this does not seem to raise any red flags to Henry's parents. Yeah. This is very normal that our child knows how to fucking make a noose. You know, how, you know It was just
0: occurring to me that the something that happens when you rewatch this movie now is you're like, This kid's fucked up and that's creepy, but it's even more fucked up and creepy in 1993 because it's like, did you go to the library and figure out a noose or did that just like you learned it? Did you meet a weird guy in the park and he told you like, it's not the Internet, you know, how did you learn this shit? (laughs) It's 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 disturbing to think about.
1: It does also remind me uh, it's like spiritually similar to the movie Orphan 2009. Mm -hmm. It's like another movie about. An evil a
0: wayward youth,
1: well, it what appears to be an evil child that's adopted yeah. and, um if you've not seen it, I won't spoil it for you, but yeah, it's just it's yeah. it's also absurd, yeah, um
0: he's set up nice too, he's got the shed, and he's got the tree house, I just thought mm-hmm. he's really set up nice,
1: yeah, uh, it, <laughs> and speaking of the tree house this the, there's a line from from Roger Ebert's written review that I thought was a good way to describe this the, they, as in Mark and Henry, the boys are allowed to roam freely all over the island, which seems to have been designed as a series of death traps for kids.
0: It's true because even if Macaulay Culkin has no hidden, is this kid okay or not? He's just the sweetest. Let's say he's just a nice boy. Like the dog, there's a, still a dog that almost kills him. He still almost falls out of the tree house because it collapses when he's climbing up. Like it is all these things. It's ominous because of the circumstances, but it is just like, yeah, what's going on, man? These kids are going to have a bad time. No matter the interpersonal dynamics. <laughs>
1: Like this is this is the most dangerous place, and then like the 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 mom uh, who who recently lost the baby boy, her favorite place to like stand and mourn. Oh yeah, just it's just the most precarious cliffside.
0: It's like a harsh drop off cliff, and 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 it seems like she just goes and stands and mourns. Which hey, look, it's an awful thing. I don't know. I don't know. Everyone goes through it uh, their own way. I'm sure, but she's almost just like it's like office hours out there. She just goes and stands. She puts on her coat and walk, climbs the not climbs, like you know, goes out to the cliff. It's and like an, an, hangs out. an
1: NPC that you're trying to like go get a give an item to. And you look up their schedule online, and yeah, it says like yeah, nine to six. Nine, she stands yeah, yep. right by right in the yeah. spot, motionless. <laughs> and then she <laughs> saunters right. back home slowly that's at right. 6.30. 30.
0: That's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> trying to give her a gift. That's where that's where she'll be.
1: And another another thing that just seemed or the other things that seemed just incredibly dangerous that these kids have access to these things is, uh, well, there's a well that yeah. Colic Olkin seems to have unfettered access. He to. throws
0: every single, he gets anything he needs to get rid of. It goes down the well. Yep. We joked about one day. He's just going to throw, throw some damning stuff down the well and it'll just pile out. Like he filled it mm-hmm. with all of his dead animals and whatever. sick kid shit. He's doing yeah,
1: look like a food bowl.
0: Yeah, that's right. He, he frequents a cemetery, frequents a cemetery, Has the shed and the treehouse and the well. Mm -hmm.
1: And the treehouse is, he seems to be building it as he goes. Yeah. And it's absurdly high up. It's like dangerously high up.
0: And it's just like, kind of like boards glued. I know this is a treehouse, but like boards glued to part of the tree and just call it a treehouse. It's not a real nice design. It's It's like ramshackle. Yeah. yeah, It's more
1: like a a tree floor. It's like a
0: nice treehouse survived a tornado. Yeah. Barely. (laughs) Barely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, and as as you were uh about to say, I think they 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 bond. There has to be like sort of a a bond there.
0: Yeah, they click. It's like not unlike the movie Step Brothers for a half second there. They do just decide to be friends, or no, they they hit it off. Um, but
1: it is it, it it is. You do feel right right from the get go with with the creepy masks and. It's a general vibe. It's like, all right, this is clearly going to take a turn. This is going to go somewhere, and and each each little instance, each new scene of the boys hanging out around around this very very dangerous island, um, yes, it is increasingly more like higher stakes, mm-hmm. more, more menacing, mm-hmm. um, including. What do they name the Mister Highway, Mister Freeway?
0: Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. his his little dummy that he's made, his human like dummy.
1: Yeah. Uh, so so Henry makes this human shaped dummy mm-hmm. and and gets Elijah Wood to help him take it to an uh, a highway overpass. I'm not sure what young Elijah Wood thought they were going to do with it once they got there.
0: Fair. But yeah. For real.
1: Then then uh, he just dumps it over. The side yeah. and causes a big accident. Yeah. And car cars go all
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. topsy turvy. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, when Mar- when Mark is understandably horrified. By the way, when they're running around the city like this, and there's uh, the snow on the ground, and he's wearing his little hat. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> when when the the cars start to hit each other after they dump it over the side, they yeah. McCulley- call. They cut to him. So it's just him in the frame, yeah. and he's just smiling serenely. He looks so happy.
0: Yeah, it's like filling him up.
1: <laughs> he 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 loves the destruction. It's like it's
0: like Christmas or something to him. He just but yeah.
1: It really does. It could be a scene from Home Alone too, just the way it looks. Mm-hmm. The the what he's wearing with his little hat. And yeah, the snow all around them.
0: Yep. He's like, I have to stop my parents from getting on that plane and something, and then he just like would just do that, and then they even do the thing. It's just like they could have just easily had ten people die in the wreck. But the news later is like, thankfully, no one died. So yeah, not you know, it wouldn't have been out of bounds for the movie. He, there's deaths in it, but it's just like that's what Home Alone would have done. Also, Literally. thankfully, no one died. The pile up where the campers were going sideways and shit. Yeah, or any
1: cartoon, yeah. It, yeah. But uh, so when when Elijah Wood is freaking out about it, Macaulay Culkin says, <laughs> "I didn't know you were going to do that. I feel sorry for you, Mark. I just don't know how to have fun." He's so he's kind of ice cold and. Some of the negative reviews cite Macaulay Culkin's delivery as, like, it doesn't really... They argue that it doesn't work, like, if it's not a fun, like, little one-liner thing. Yeah. I think it works perfectly if the goal is to make a perverse movie like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, I didn't know kids as bad as that, but there are kids like that where it's just like, what's your deal, man? Why are you such a little black hole fucking, like destructive and I'm not trying to be a mean. That's just how kids think or whatever. People have their reasons and everything, but like where it is just like, there's, there is something weird and ominous and it's like, yeah, they don't fucking care if you think they make sense or not, or, or are doing the things kids should be doing, or they're just on their own wavelength, let's say. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what he gets to do. Like Elijah Wood does all like the emotional things. You got to believe me. I miss my mother. He has to hit some really like, he has to hit some notes, but like what Macaulay has to do is be kind of odd and aloof and distant. And it Maybe it requires a different kind of acting or something, but it is just like these these shorter lines. It's just like you almost are supposed to bring up this like just make the people feel uneasy, you know, like just like deliver something, be, be kind of distant or something. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying there's not a craft to it, but it's like it just seems like a fun uh, would probably be like the more fun acting to do of the two and oh, really? be this emotional wrung out person. Or you can just be like, I'm not even showing you all my cards, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah.
1: And it is interesting. You notice sort of there's like when Macaulay Culkin uh, or Henry lifts his mask metaphorically yeah. to his cousin and shows him like who he really is, yeah. and then you see him sort of put like no I'm just a little boy thing back on. Yeah, yeah really, yeah. it's pretty creepy. Yeah. when to see a child be able to like weaponize I'm just a kid is a right. little like yeah. Unsettling.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And it's that thing of just, like, what we talked about of children watching movies of just, like, you see where, like, it's easy to feel like they don't take you seriously. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I could show them. I'm smarter than they think. And this is like a kid doing that, you know, in a fucked up way and everything. But that's a little bit of the watchability there that Roger Ebert is so mystified about.
1: <laughs> so as tension builds and Mark becomes, as in Elijah Wood, becomes... More and more scared of his cousin, and just like, what the fuck is all this, or whatever little kid translation that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he's also tapping into the deep seated jealousy that Henry has. Uh, he's he's you know he just lost his mother. He's sad, and so his aunt, uh Henry's mom, comforts him. Yeah, and uh, like he has a nightmare or something, and and run, runs out of the room, and and he's being comforted by his aunt on the staircase and then the camera pans and you just see fucking Henry looking. I don't know how he's able to be everywhere. That's another thing that makes me think of like Jason Voorhees. He's everywhere. Yeah, He's He's
0: Jason Voorhees meets Kevin (laughs) McAllister.
1: And um, that's, that can either be an indictment of the movie or, or like a,
0: yeah, however that sounds to you. An endorsement. There it is. He will kill you, and he really knows his way around that house.
1: But yeah, so as 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 we 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 discussed, he he wants to be the only little boy, the only the only mommy's little boy there is. Mm-hmm. So it's fine.
0: like he tolerates little sis, like yeah. that's like a different enough lane or something. He's but so he, mean to her. But he's mean to her. But I mean, you know, that's that's just like some childhood stuff. But in the sense of hasn't hasn't whacked her. Doesn't seem <laughs> to have plans to do Maybe it. Maybe there's a love there, but because he has not. He doesn't have a, you know, but he cannot abide this new boy coming in.
1: No, absolutely not. I'm a little boy. Um, oh, there's this, this line from Janet Maslin of the New York Times' review that I thought was interesting. It's, Mr. Rubin is an accomplished visual stylist who, may, who often makes actors seem less lifelike than the sets they inhabit. Uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Wood wide-eyed and terrified much of the time, gives the only performance that has any urgency. Henry's parents are presented as saccharine and oblivious, which is only partly explained by the fact that they are still mourning the death of another child. Henry's mother, who has not yet put two and two together where that death is concerned, (laughs) has an unfortunate, unfortunate habit of standing atop a steep cliff to think about the son she lost.
0: Yeah, but she's also staring at the ocean, and her son was drowned, uh, drowned in a bathtub, and maybe that's just... It's a good-looking spot. If if her son, you know, had some other untimely... Yeah, I, I think that's... She'd probably go sit there if she lost her job okay. and, and think about it, you know?
1: Um, I just... It, it's interesting that they... She, she described the sets and how pre, pretty everything around them yeah. is as, like, there's more... This is more interesting... Than, than the people you present. This seems like more real.
0: Yes. And I think what they're saying, and I will give credit. I do I do like the movie, but I think, again, you know, you I, I thought about this less when I was nine or ten. But you watch it and a lot of these things we're describing are pretty unique, I think. The dynamics of the children and the stuff like that. But that said, a lot of the scenes of the adults pushing the plot forward and stuff like that are like, I see what they're saying a little bit. There's a cool visual style to the movie. It's in a mm-hmm. scenic, frozen dreary overcast area that very much goes with the themes of the movie and the vibe of it. But then it is just like, yeah, there's just like some kind of, I don't even know what you'd say. Stuffy moments where the, again, the adults have to push the plot for all that stuff with like the child psychiatrist and everything. It's like a little less engaging than some of the other stuff, mm-hmm. but it always looks pretty rad.
1: Agreed. Very, very agreed. And uh obviously we don't want to quite Spoil the ending, but um, I'm going to skip ahead into into our notes and bring up um, what's interesting is the original writer, Ian McEwen, uh, apparently loved the ending they, they came up with, said the studio were extremely happy with, with the ending, mm-hmm. and it reminded me of Roger Ebert's take on the ending from his- We're talking his
0: about the same re- ending, year. by the way. The same Okay, the same yeah, ending. okay, okay.
1: <laughs> he hated it. Yeah. Uh, everything leads up to a cliffhanging climax that somehow manages to be unconvincing, contrived, meretricious, and manipulative all at once. Wow. I don't know when I've disliked the ending of a movie more.
0: It's an ending that I like that stayed with me my whole life.
1: I know. It's very vivid. Like everything, all the big parts yeah. of the movie are very vivid.
0: He's right about how it ramps up to a, you know, this is a big cliffhanger moment, you know. I think it's in a brilliant way of like, if like watching the movie now, knowing how it ends and you just see how everything leads up again, not to give anything away, but everything leads up to this moment in a way that if you know that, I, I think it's like, it's done pretty well as far as the, even if you were in the very first shot of the movie, kind of even hints at it where it's, is soccer game and it pans up to like the mountains and the cliff and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's a real bookend to it all. If you need there to be, if you like that sort of thing. Sure. And that said, it's like, I, I'm hard pressed to think of a better fucking ending. That, that seems like the ending. I, that it, feels like what the ending needs to be.
1: I'm so interested in what the end, the other ending was.
0: <laughs> There's no other it, ways to get out of it, I'm sure, but it's hard to picture something else once you've seen this one. That's like very vivid, and I think the lot, like you know, like the best possible ending. It feels like
1: it's like The Omen, Sophie's Choice, Home Alone, Mushpile. Yeah, something. yeah. Sorry. And before we were going to. uh or before we sat down to watch this movie when we were talking about what episode we should do next what we should do to, to bring the podcast back um, um I just had a feeling I didn't know I didn't look into it, but I just had a feeling that this one had some interesting stuff yeah. some atypical production yeah. stuff that it was gonna be fun to get into and yeah. uh and yeah, it's one of those for sure why don't we um so just to as a quick overview, I think this this kind of sets us up well for this one movie. When it all was said and done, we had three directors, two casts, a slew of producers, an absurd amount of rewrites and revisions.
0: Three directors, two casts. Yeah, that's crazy. That's, that's a crazy. Lot. That's a lot.
1: In 1993, Ian McEwan, again, the screenwriter, the super serious serious British novelist, um, he, he gave a pretty, I guess what they call in the wrestling world, a shoot interview where he just sort of laid out all of his grievances Mm -hmm. openly. So in 19, I saw 85 and 86 uh, mentioned in two different articles. And I was reading about this. So somewhere around, around that time, uh, author Ian McEwen was approached by 20th century Fox uh, asking him if he would like to write a novel about evil uh, quote, possibly concerning children. And he didn't. He didn't dig his time so much in in Hollywood. Being, mm-hmm. I have a quote from him on his experiences as a British writer stepping inside Tinseltown. He said, "It's an opportunity to fly first class, be treated like a celebrity, sit around the pool, and be betrayed."
0: <laughs> That's what they do at those pools.
1: I always wonder. You always see people taking those meetings.
0: Do you think? Sit around the pool is a third thing and be betrayed is a fourth thing, like out and about town? Or do you think it's all happening at the pool? <laughs> Sit around the pool and be betrayed is the whole third well, thing.
1: There is not an Oxford comma.
0: Yeah. So Sit around the pool and be p- betrayed. <laughs> that is very funny. I would just, picture. yeah.
1: <laughs> so he uh, he agreed to, to write to write the script, try to come up with an idea. Uh, but he said, but only on the basis that it would be psychological and not brimstone- Brimstone and Sulphur. The idea was to make a low-budget, high-class movie, not something that Fox would naturally make a lot of money on. However, when he turned in his script, I guess 20th century higher-ups wanted it to be a a bit more supernatural. His catty British way of describing it was they asked, where's the ectoplasm? (laughs) Um, They were looking for another omen. So it sort of floated around, for years, um, a few years, trying to shop it around and get it made, and it eventually ended up back at back at Fox. Um, one pro- uh, one of the producers, Mary Ann Page, she said it was Home Alone. Uh, it proved to adults or proved to studios that films about kids could make money and attract grown ups. And uh, also Silence of the Lambs, she cites. Mm. And more importantly, Silence of the Lambs, which meant they were all saying, okay, we can do an extreme thriller. Hey. But uh, either way, Fox changed their minds and, and agreed mm-hmm. to take on the project. Um, so in 91, it was reported in The Hollywood Reporter that Michael Lehman, uh, who also directed Heathers, was hired to direct the movie, which at the time had a budget of $15 million. And after a short while, they had already invested $4 billion in the movie. They built sets. They uh, had cast a few people, including Mary Steenburgen mm. as, as the mom, mm-hmm.
0: uh, which would have been really Doing good. good. They got another lady with short hair.
1: <laughs> yes. This is Ian McEwen. At this point, I couldn't understand why writers ever complained about Hollywood. The people I met were as intelligent as anybody in the publishing world, very dedicated. I thought the director was very bright with good taste. By November 91, everything was going ahead. We were building sets in Maine. We'd cast two unknown actors as the leads. We had 70 people on the payroll. I was about to go over for rehearsals. There's nothing, I thought, that could possibly go wrong now. Huh. <laughs> Enter Kit Colkin,
0: Grown up. Grown up. Before- <laughs> Adult man named Kit...
1: In fact, at the time, uh, considered to be the forty-eighth most powerful man in Hollywood.
0: I saw that on there, and I know it's just like a list from Premiere Magazine. There's no official, you know, it's whatever. But do you think he was was Macaulay on that list, higher or lower, or not at all? Was Kit wielding the most power of the Colkin family?
1: I do wonder. He's not. A, he is a man. That might be the. Uh, he's
0: the daddy. He's the daddy. He's the daddy Colkin. He's also he was at a time. Manager. He was their manager. He was controlling. He had that money and the sway of like. It's weird, is it like, is anybody advocating for the kid to be like, let the kid choose his own role, or is it just accepted that, like, dad's going to have at least a huge hand in that, if not all of the say? I don't know.
1: Well, a, a child is not able to sign a contract, so it's all pretty messy and arguable that they should be able to work in the first place, probably. I don't know. It's really, um, it's.
0: I mean, this is not a new new ground to carve out, but, like, we, the only child labor we allow is, like, this, the kind that we, like. We celebrate it when it's really good, <laughs> you know? We give
1: them awards. And yeah. Well, oh, no, it's event.
0: like we do some child labor. We're like, we'll clap for the kid. Like, you know, we'll give it up. We'll give them a million dollars even. It's yeah. just, you know, it's right. like it's like real nice child labor. Oh, but uh, they'll set the long hours, long hours on <laughs> uh,
1: And something seems to happen to all of them. I don't know. We're not going to cover yeah, that Yeah, it part.
0: fries them out. We can't figure out why. Anyways, 12 hours tomorrow. See you later.
1: But, um, so... I didn't really know this. I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't really aware that Kit Culkin, the Culkin dad slash manager, is a notorious person. I, I, I knew
0: three things about Macaulay Culkin, that was one of them. Yeah. It's like you heard about his parents being like the derailing is mm-hmm. one one of those, yeah.
1: Real, real Dina Lohan, I think. Yeah. Michael Lohan. Yeah. Lohan. yeah. That that might be our generational differences. I yeah. was well aware of of their their shittery. Yeah. But um So I have, this is all from a a 1995 LA Times article, Trouble in the House that Mac Built. I just like that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Anyway, just to give sort of some- I'm sure uh, Kit loved that headline. (laughs) Some context about all, all of this. So despite the family's notoriety, only two of Macaulay's films have caused significant controversy. Guess which one of them is? Uh, Kit's escalating demands on 1983's The Nutcracker culminated (laughs) in a last-minute ultimatum that Kevin Klein's voiceover narration be removed. Producer Arnon Milchan refused, saying that he could only take so much harassment, so much extortion, so much blackmail. Enough!
0: It's crazy that, you know, I get that you're like crazy stage father, you think your son should be in the movie more, get more lines or whatever. It's crazy to be to the point of just like, you wanted to change the voiceover of the Nutcracker and what? Have it be your kid or have it be something else or whatever? It's, it's Nutcracker. Don't you just perform it? He just has the role. He's the little kid in the Nutcracker.
1: Well, why do you think you should lord over this thing like this? I don't
0: know. It's weird, Because he's man. Kit Culkin, man.
1: <laughs> but it was the bad saga of the good son that sealed Kit's rep as the stage father from hell. Um, I got more il- intel on that from elsewhere. Um, according to AFI. The American Film Institute, not the band. Mm-hmm. In a meeting with Culkin in August 1991, Michael Lehman decided that the 12-year-old was too young for the role and suggested that the studio find another actor. However, Macaulay's father and manager, Kit Culkin, refused to sign a contract for Fox's Home Alone 2, lost in New York, unless his son was also cast in The Good Son.
0: Hardball.
1: Which he saw as an opportunity to widen the boy's acting range.
0: So I gotta say. Kit Culkin, by this 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 article you said before, calls him the stage father from hell. I'm over here applauding that we got Macaulay Culkin in the fucked up R-rated horror movie, and we only had a few. It was Kit Culkin's vision. I'm not saying he's a. I'm not saying that it, it, it you know absolves him of anything, but I just it's a it's a real. It's I said a hard ball. He also threw a curveball at me. He's got.
1: It's like Phil Spector.
0: It's a very interesting uh, turn of events to have learned that 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 was just like the good son, and you know too. I don't doubt that. The, the other, the, some of the uh, writer, the director, the people attached to it at various points are like, man, it was going to go this way and now it ended up this thing. And I don't like what it became. I get that because he had this vision. But one of the things we said earlier, you said they were, they had unknowns and like, maybe this movie would have just like come and gone and not had had two really good child actors if it had gotten made a different way. So I just don't know, you know,
1: mm-hmm. it's hard to say. And, uh, if you're wondering, Kit Culkin did make other demands as oh, well. Good, like what? Uh, Merchandising deals, fancy trailers, and on-set Sega games.
0: <laughs> it's merchandising deals. I, it's probably maybe it's for just other stuff, but it's like I like to th- I like to think that McDonald's did like a Good Son Happy Meal or something. Oh my God! It was like the little rubber duck toy. Oh my
1: God! And a creepy mask.
0: A creepy mask. A little doll hanging from a noose. There's like a bunch you could do. Ice skate. Do you want a dead brother or dead sister toy? Uh, That's what they ask. In boy the, or in girl? The, yeah. Yeah. Blue or pink on set
1: happy. Sega games what do you think I wish there was more information
0: uh, he just there's gotta be Sega games on set no not Super Nintendo and he hangs up the phone
1: so quick recap Kit Culkin refused to sign the contract for Home Alone 2 unless he, he, they put his kid in the role that was already cast it was it was already cast yeah
0: they bumped yeah he got a kid fired he got a kid fired he got a, he got a bunch of people fired for a year because it was a winter production
1: Yes, we are uh, com- coming up on – on oh, my God. But also um, – Incredible.
0: So do you know what we have to thank for the good son? Hmm. Bad dad.
1: Bad dad. Whoa. <laughs> There's something there. So – and Michael Lehman did not want – nobody wanted this to come to be, basically, except for Kit Culkin. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Michael Lehman and producer Lawrence Mark traveled to New York City to read scenes with Macaulay – but were unsuccessful in persuading him to leave the project. John Hughes. Even John Hughes yeah. intervened, dangling other Oscar-caliber roles before the Culkins. I cannot find any more information about this.
0: Please be true, but what does that mean? John Hughes...
1: Apparently he, like, tried to dazzle him with some roles that would have conflicted with the production schedule? I don't know.
0: But John Hughes... I wanna believe it's true too, but John Hughes wasn't really making Oscar Caliber movies come nineteen ninety-three. He was making I mean, like Baby's Day Out and shit.
1: Acting as a producer, or yeah. Like, you're like right, a manager yeah. trying to help him like feel he's
0: well connected, no I doubt about that.
1: Just it was all hands on deck to try to get to try to get Macaulay Culkin to not want to do this movie. Um,
0: I don't know if there was a thing before where the one guy said he was too young or something, where it's like, get out of your director's head. You got the biggest movie star of a generation. Get your head out of your ass. Get your head out of your ass. Uh, but the kid should be a little bit bigger. Nobody cares about that, but you. Nobody cares about that, but you.
1: Yeah, I guess he did want him to be more physically imposing.
0: Yeah. Oh my god, my metaphor—it's ruined. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so Joe Roth, who was head of 20th Century Fox at the time, and uh, they produced both Home Alone 2 and The Good Son. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was—he had a reputation as a filmmaker's producer. He relented resulting in the dismissal of the already cast child actor, Jesse Bradford, that is mm. That is an actor, okay. and the departure of director Michael Lehman and several other key personnel and a one-year production postponement. One year.
0: Just to get Macaulay Culkin, who had been strong-armed into the thing. So much so that there was an existing person in that movie.
1: $4 million was invested.
0: It really, I guess, it you know, it just really, uh, they wanted Home Alone 2 so bad. And I get it. Cause it was a huge hit and yeah. without Macaulay Culkin, I guess. So did, did he want something? Did he want fucking Macaulay Culkin to be like the star of goodwill hunting? And that's why he's not in home alone three. <laughs> oh
1: my God. <laughs> to be a fly on the wall. <coughs> uh, and this is back from the LA times again, by the way, even now the ill will generated by the good son is hard to overestimate. This is a quote from, from Michael Lehman. Uh, I went to Kit Culkin's house, pleading with him for two hours. We'd hired 60 people. They'd be out of work at Christmas time. I had at least eight months, eight or nine months of my creative life invested. I felt it was cruel and out of place for Kit to call his son a powerful movie star and take advantage of it. That is incredible. Mm -hmm. Pleading. Two hours. Two hours. Think about.
0: Just the big one. The big part is 60 people and like the, the, it's not funny but the cherry on top of that, like to be able to work at Christmas time. That's like he's Scrooge. This is like, yeah, it's Dickensian, right? It's yeah. like, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't send the caterers home on Christmas. I can and I will come back next year. We'll still be hungry. Like, Jesus.
1: <laughs> I picture him turning away Michael Lehman after two hours have passed, wearing one of those green see-through visors, yeah. and just like typing away, <laughs> counting all of all of yeah. his money
2: Right.
1: <laughs> earned by his 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 children. Right, seven kids, by the way.
0: A lot of Colkins.
1: Um, and, yeah, you're right that they they just fully embraced that. this is We have a big-ass movie star here, um, this thing from AFI. Fox embraced the decision and shut down production, uh, claiming that having, quote, the only child in America that sells tickets was worth the additional 3 to $4 million to postpone production and hire a new director. Mm-hmm. Michael Lehman, who was paid up front, decided to pursue other projects. Paid up front.
0: Good deal. I mean yeah like he said eight nine months of my life is gone because we planned i was ready so that sucks but he got paid at least and was just like time for me to move on Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's all just just a waste of resources so wasteful
0: but the thing is though maybe they're right like it doesn't make it cool but are we talking about this movie if they don't wait a year to put macaulay in there probably not yeah and jesse bradford no disrespect
1: and apparently it didn't well obviously we know from the reviews that it didn't really like Show, showcase Macaulay's acting range in the way that, that Kit had wanted. Mm-hmm. Back to the uh, the LA Times. If The Good Son was supposed to demonstrate Macaulay's range as an actor, it may have misfired. Says a Hollywood source knowledgeable about the making of the film, The Good Son was designed by Kit to prove Macaulay could act. And it did exactly the opposite. In that sense, it was a lousy career move. He tried to prove his son is Lawrence Olivier. Instead, he proved he's Ricky Schroeder. And, Ouch. uh... Yeah, other sources at the time told the Independent Mac can't act; he just mimics. He does single clauses, and this isn't what this movie needs. Mac can't act.
0: Mac can't act.
1: A room full of executives talking shit about a kid.
0: Right, and also, I, I don't know. Like when you see him in like Uncle Buck, you're like, oh, this is why he wanted to make a whole movie for him. And like, if you want to be an asshole and say compare him to, oh, I don't know, Lawrence Olivier, like, yeah, it's gonna be a tough one. It's going to be tough. He's not. He's not Marlon Brando or James Dean or whoever these idiots want to compare him to because I did that earlier. Um,
1: <laughs> Show me Lawrence Olivier is a 12 year old. like,
0: I'm sorry. Were there long monologues? And then he got to set and was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to do the clause. I'm going to say don't fuck with me. And I was supposed to do the long monologue like, no, of course, you're going to do single clauses. My point is he can act better than uh, just about any kid I've ever seen.
1: Absolutely. He's very good. There's a reason why
0: something it wasn't. Yeah.
1: This rege- this re- reaction or rejection of things that are popular.
0: We're gonna find out big. Kit Culkin bullied him into Home Alone one, <laughs> and we're like, no, this kid's no good.
1: Back so, no, to the moves of Kit Culkin, Showbiz Dad. Yeah. So another demand he made. Uh So finally, they've 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 oh, yeah. delayed production. It's been a year. Where
0: and that's re- why Mary Steenburgen was out now too. Yeah. Yeah. She
1: just she couldn't um, a year, couldn't dude. Make it work. People she did Philadelphia lives. instead, I believe yeah. I read. But um. Days before production began in 90, November 92, Hollywood Reporter, I guess, stated that Kit, Kit Culkin had rejected Ruin's choice for Macaulay's on-screen, on-screen sister and film, insisted filmmakers recast the role with his eight-year-old daughter, Quinn Culkin. There you go. So if you were paying attention to the to the Culkin counter, yeah. earlier, that is that is why.
0: That's why he shoehorned
1: two Culkins into yeah. the movie. Three, I guess. And
0: then again, though. It's funny because that's like again, if a little girl got fired, that's fucked up. It sounds like he's being an <laughs> asshole. I can't help the overall mood of production. We're watching the movie, I go, Oh my god, they got they got her to play his sister. That's really smart. You know, like when you don't know these things, you're just watching the end product and it's like I'm not happy that it happened in a fucked up way, but you're like, That's really smart. It's yeah, a really it really seems like his little sister. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Kit Culkin had a vision. I don't know, you know. He
1: was misunderstood. <laughs> he's
0: like, it's not cause she's my daughter. She's just the one for this part. <laughs>
1: So, the film with the budget now soaring from 12 million to more than 20 million was back to square one. So, after Joseph Rubin, director producer Joseph Rubin was, uh, was brought on in May 92, he got with Ian McEwen to make some changes to the script because I guess with every new director comes a new draft.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and uh, McEwen diplomatically said that Rubin is very much a commercial director. And he felt some of the movie's strangeness was under threat, and apparently, there was a whole subplot about a local fight to save the beach. (laughs) I can't,
0: but I still can't believe that. And I know the it's like the original author. He might say we should respect his vision. It sounds kind of dumb. Maybe it's dumb as hell. Maybe it was great. I I don't know how that does 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 Mac fuck it up somehow for for the whole town. He's so bad, he's like Dennis the Menace is out here shooting slingshots at the whole town's fight to save a local beach.
1: He runs for city comptroller and wins and cuts the beach budget.
0: Yeah. And, like, by the way, like, a dog gets shot in this movie, so there's enough, like, really generic hacky screenwriting things that happen. Yeah. We don't we don't need a fight to save the local beach to also uh, go in the movie where we uh, shot a dog. Which, by the way, sorry, spoilers or whatever, but if you've watched movies and you know that we're doing spooky, dark, whatever things and you see a dog... It's not. It's not. It's not a phenomenon of the 21st century. If you thought it was when you they there going, "Oh, well, oh, they're probably gonna shoot the dog."
1: <laughs> it being a, a an overly used trope aside, it's mentioned in like just about every review of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's okay. Sorry, sorry, guys. It's not a spoiler. Yep, yep, it's yep, it's yep. in the reviews. Yep.
0: It's as intricate I, to the it's as integral to the plot as John Wick. You just have to talk about it.
1: And maybe just know that going into like, oh yeah, it's gonna be upsetting. Whatever.
0: It just feels um, like this thing that screenwriters are just like, I don't want to harp on it. And, and, and I'm sure like, look, I like John Wick. Who cares? Right. But it is just like, do they all just think this light bulb goes off over their head. Like, ooh, what a devilish way to not kill a whole human and, you know, and still do something.
1: Yeah. What if we
0: just kill a dog?
1: It's 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 what they call in, in pro wrestling cheap heat. Yeah. Meaning like just something that, you know, is going to get booze yeah. or illicit a negative response.
0: Makes me want to get some booze. If you, oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And he cracks a beer and he drinks it. <laughs> if I was cool, I would have just had one ready. That would have been cool. I'll punch one in. Yeah, in post. Listen. Yeah, I just cracked a couple of cold ones.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Back hey, in, hey, throw me a cold one. Okay, sorry.
1: Back in 92, things uh, were about to turn really nasty between Ian McEwen and and uh, Director mm-hmm. director Rubin there. In August, McEwen began to notice his phone calls were not being returned. His faxes were being ignored. <laughs>
0: The Ruben. pain in the ass of sending someone a fax and they don't ignore <laughs> and they don't respond. That's so rude.
1: What's what was the wait time on a fax? You think like anything outside of 15 minutes? You're like, all right, this asshole.
0: I think there has to be a reasonable expectation of like, maybe he's trying. He's fucking with the machine. Cause like, you know, like if you don't get the fax back right away, you're like, oh, it's probably being a pain in the ass. But yeah, after an hour or something, like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> <What are>
1: you, <laughs> Ruben was always out. It was only when a producer friend mentioned that Ruben had employed another scriptwriter. Who uh, McEwen referred to as a chum of his, uh, that, his that McEwen re- discovered he'd been eased out altogether, mm. and yeah, it, he so he'd been unceremoniously replaced by frequent Ruben collaborator, collaborator David Lower? How do you say Lowry, that? Lowry, Lowry, thank you. Uh, who I guess had an un- unscredited, uncredited writing work on *The Stepfather* and credited work writing *Dreamscape* and *Money Train*, two other Ruben directed movies.
0: Okay, yeah, they wanted to do money train mm-hmm. Got to see that money train.
1: And and Ian McEwen, a very st- dramatic, very British man, <laughs> was very upset by this uh, this unceremonious dismissal. Uh, can I read? Can I read you what he says? Mm-hmm. I was extremely angry. He says this was year five of trying to get this thing off the ground. We had all these near misses, and just as it went into pre-production, I found myself basically sacked from my own script. Naturally, when somebody who has been a guest in your house and who you've worked closely with then edges you off and doesn't have the courage to phone you, they tend to shrink in your estimation estimation by any standard of behavior, even Hollywood standards. That's pretty poor. (laughs) Just like, if I could do a British accent... It would probably sound better. I can't. I won't try. <laughs> yeah. But just how how. Yeah. And um. So that was that was that was that. That was the last direct contact McEwen had with the film, and and this is this is sort of what he says to sum up his whole experience. Uh, film throws up an enormous amount of dust and heat and noise, urgent meetings and so on, which have nothing to do with making a film, but to do with people who are not creatively involved guarding their investments. I suppose. It's what you should expect when people are spending the GNP of small countries to make other people less bored for 100 minutes.
0: God damn. Well, there you go.
1: Meow.
0: <laughs> he didn't like the, He didn't like the new draft of the script. Needless not. to say, he's attacking he's attacking the whole business.
1: So, it's very funny to me too that uh, he 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 was approached Ian McEwan was approached to write the novelization of the movie, a prospect that filled him with horror and despair. <laughs> I've already written it. He says the thought of sitting down and plonking away at the typewriter and doing it again, <laughs> but they did get somebody to do it. A tie in novel was published alongside the movie's release in 93. And it's just, it sounds so, so stupid. <laughs> so stupid. Do You want, do you want to take the, uh, the description of the plot or the, right. of the novel? Okay.
0: The novel elaborates on the movie, detailing how Henry was born a sociopath rather than being some personification of evil. In the novel, Henry's mother, Susan, eventually discovers that Henry is unable to understand emotions like love and sorrow, and that pleasure derived from selfish actions and the torment of others are the few things he truly feels. The book also concludes differently from the movie, ending with Mark returning to Uncle Wallace's home in Maine one year later. Mark and Susan visit Henry's grave, which includes an epitaph, Without darkness, there can be no light. Uh. These novelizations, man. I swear they always just were like... I don't think anyone ever cared about them. If you look at any of them, they're always just like, the author just made up some stuff inevitably. That's like, wait, that's not in the movie. Yeah. You know, I guess maybe that's the job. Is Sometimes you have to try to get in people's heads and describe things that you only saw in a movie. But yeah, it's just, that's funny and weird.
1: So uh, interestingly, once this this cursed production was finally come at a close, and eventually the movie was released to theaters, uh, to our to our. Shock or to Roger Ebert's shock and dismay, mm-hmm. uh, the UK release was delayed by more than a year uh, because there was a sensitive crime at the time. Uh, mm. This note from from the American Film Institute: more than a year after domestic release, uh, the ne- the after a year long ban by the British Board of Film Classification, which deemed the story inappropriate due to the recent murder of two year old James Bolger by two ten year old boys.
0: Eesh.
1: So they decided this is this is too tasteless. Give it a year.
0: They shoved it. Give you it a year. Just wait.
1: <laughs> and I'm sure you're you're all dying to know what accolades the movie earned. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, it's a it's a it's a it's a whopper. Well, actually, no, it did it did. I think it might have actually won a Saturn Award or two. But mm. that's not the funny one. This is the funny one. Macaulay Culkin was nominated was nominated for Best Villain at the 1994 MTV Movie Awards. But he lost to Alicia Silverstone for hmm. her uh, her work in The Crush. If you're familiar with The Crush.
0: She was just too hot at that time, Alicia Silverstone. She was in all those Aerosmith videos. MTV loved her. I think, uh, you know, Macaulay Culkin went from being a little kid to an R-rated guy. He just jumped over MTV entirely. He was never going to win MTV Awards. He went from Nickelodeon Kids' Choice to the Saturn Awards.
1: Honestly funny to me that he was nominated for best villain. She seems very funny.
0: Hey, I mean it's a it's an intergender category, which is pretty cool, but also makes the competition wider.
1: Yeah. And incidentally, the Crush is probably uh one that I'm sure certain got bad enough reviews for us to talk about it eventually. Probably.
0: It's probably fun to go back and watch the movie about a seductive it's like a Lolita thing, but I think she's like I'm being a Lolita in the way that the girl doesn't say in Lolita. You and know what I mean. So
1: she, uh, she, she, Alicia Silverstone is like a you know an underage girl, teen- teenage girl, uh, and neighbor Carrie Elves, Elves. El- I can never yeah, I s- like, say that. Elway,
0: I mean, Elway's You know, know, you know, I'm the not. guy.
1: Princess Bride, Saw, et cetera. Anyway, he he moves in next to her, and well, she develops a crush, and it's not reciprocated. It's kind of like fail attraction meets. Elements of Lolita and other, other shit. Fear. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Cape fear. Yeah. All the fears. All the fears. Well, what do you, I, I stand, I stand by the good son, man. Like, you know what you're, what you're going to get.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't
1: know. I don't know. I get, I guess I get why it got bad reviews, but
0: yeah, no, look, it's a movie ass movie in the sense of like, there's some very obvious exposition dialogue. I have to go to Tokyo and close the deal for two weeks. And, why wouldn't you take the kid with you? There's no way to take the Like, whatever, like if you can get, why did anyone see them when they have to, when they have to like not be seen by anybody, they're not seen by anybody in a whole town. But when we need a village full of ice skaters, we have a village full of ice skaters. You can pick that stuff apart. Um, but I just think for a genre thing, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it is really effective. And I think, because they don't have an awful subplot about saving the local beach. It comes in at a nice and tidy, like 90, whatever minutes. It's just like it. Like I saw what I was about to say is that there's these scenes that are a little bit like, yeah, okay, I get it. This is not the most captivating moment in a film, but that being said, it all just moves along nicely. That doesn't feel like there's too much time wasting stuff. Even if you kind of see the beats ahead, you think you see the beats. Oh, we're going to do the slow thing and slowly learn this kid's fucked up. We kind of dive right in. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I respect, I respect that It, it moves pretty well and all that. And I think uh, the Macaulay Culkin, Elijah Wood thing at the heart of it is like, it still just plays, man. It's so good. And it's like, you see where both kids are coming from. You don't relate to Macaulay Culkin, but just like, again, it's like, even if you watch something like, what was the movie? We need to talk about Kevin. It's spooky. Maybe because like, it reminds you of someone you knew, maybe not even someone you'd recognize, but just that darkness, certain kids could carry, oh, sure, you know? And I just don't know a lot of movies that really get at that in a good way. Uh, so yeah, for all those reasons, it's just like a really, I stand by, I don't really know too many movies that occupy that space. And so I think I'm really, really grateful it exists, especially like I keep saying Macaulay Culkin r rated. Don't fuck with me. Yeah. I love it.
1: It's, it's completely carried by Elijah Wood, young Elijah Wood and young uh, Macaulay Culkin's mm. performances.
0: You see why Elijah Wood is one that was able to navigate a career and end up being in films. And, yeah. you know, he didn't have that. Whatever happened to Elijah Wood thing. He seems very comfortable doing his own thing. He probably could do more, but he's like, doing whatever weird horror movies and things like that. And he's even in cool horror movies as a kid. So yeah. Yeah. He, he's fantastic.
1: So two, two, two thumbs up.
0: Yeah. Mine too. Four. Or no, was one of those mine. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll put these down. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
1: Um, so that's, that's basically it. Uh, thank you for tuning in and, and I'm happy to be back and bringing you all of, all of the Intel we can about shittily reviewed movies,
0: the forgotten freshness. That doesn't make sense. Test. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, whatever. I'm just, I'm just happy to be doing this again. I'm excited. Um, it's been really fun and we'll try to not take another six month break.
0: We'll try. I can't promise that. No, we'll be back soon. Uh, please, if you liked, if you like the show, uh, do all of the things, that I'm gonna tell you right now. Stop what you're doing, pull the car over. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You can just like and subscribe and review and tell a friend and all that stuff. It helps a lot. We appreciate it.
1: I do think once upon a time we said that if you leave us a five star review, we'd leave it on the air. And we did get one of oh, those Oh. Should we?
0: Do you have it right there? Um, or can I, we I get could, there? Do we have, have it, the means? Could have shortly. Is there a fax we need to answer?
1: Oh oh no. Just Hew- the Mickey, facts. Ma- Michael McEwen, that's not his name. McEwan's been trying to Ian McEwen's been trying to get a hold of us.
0: <laughs> yeah. A.O. Scott as well, I think.
1: So actually, we're super late to this because this was left way back. This was left for us back on July 7th, 2023 from uh, somebody going by the the name Pity Party Animal. Great name. (laughs) Um, They left us a nice review. Creative spin on a movie podcast. My favorite genres are movie podcasts, funny podcasts, and interesting fact podcasts. And this one is a fantastic mix of all three. And we were just floored by how nice that was. Mm-hmm. Thank you, uh, Pity Party Animal, so much. And we're so sorry that we didn't uh, think to look at this until we were on hiatus.
0: Yeah, but we got you and we appreciate it. And
1: and it's really like valuable intel, too. Like uh, you, you defined our show better than we can. I was just
0: going to say, yeah, thanks for defining our show better than we can. And also just like giving us something to hopefully like keep living up to or something. And I don't just mean your personal enjoyment, although that will remain a, a goal, a stated goal. But just in general, just to like, yeah, check those boxes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very fun. So yeah, rad. Awesome. Always a pleasure, guys.
1: But yeah, it does. It really does help when you when you leave things or, or hit subscribe on or follow on the various platforms mm-hmm. and all all of those wonderful wonderful internet things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we'll try not to bother you too much with st- stupid posts. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. We only had two movies growing up. Uh, One was The Good Son, and the other was Flowers (laughs) in (laughs) the (laughs) Attic. So it was either kill my mom, or fuck her. (laughs)